This is Amateur Logic, Episode 73, for December 15th, 2014. This episode of Amateur Logic is brought to you by Gigaparts.com, the amateur radio online superstore. Now through January 31st, 2015, use the coupon code ALTV-WINTER at Gigaparts.com and save $10 when you buy $100 or more worth of Heil microphones or headsets. MFJ, the world leaders in ham radio accessories at MFJEnterprises.com. And by ICOM and the new IC2730A dual-band analog-only mobile with a great interface and enhanced radio features. Hi, welcome to AmateurLogic.tv, episode 73. I'm George. I'm Tommy. I'm Peter. And, and I'm Mike. And Mike, <laughs> our buddy VK, no, he, VK3PB is on the bottom. On the I, top, it's... VE3MIC. VE, yeah, VE. Yeah. You know, those, <laughs> I'm, in the, I'm in the deep, deep south. Yeah. I wish I was in VK land. <laughs> yeah. I, I tell you, you know... These these two guys with the V in their call sign, they were talking Celsius and centimeters and all this stuff while ago. We didn't know. What, yeah, we the, thought they were speaking Pig Latin or yeah, something. Or something. Yeah, man. You know, this is kind of a milestone here. We're covering pretty much the entire globe now. Uh, a good hunk of it. Yeah, we need somebody from Europe in here. Yeah, Japan. Japan. Yeah, we could use Japan too. Yeah, yeah that'd be great. Maybe need a little more bandwidth to pull yeah. it off. Yeah. Well, Peter, what's been going on with you? Uh, been very, very busy, mainly at work of late. Um, and also, because it, it's the end of the year, you have a lot of section lunches and uh, uh, other lunches to go to with uh, with friends because everybody's winding down. So, uh, yeah, been very social lately. Yeah, what about you, Tommy? Man, I've just been uh, traveling a lot with my work and uh, I've got an interesting video that I kind of dug up from not too far in the past, yeah. some interesting stuff that we ran into. I remember when you shot that. Yeah. Yeah. That was back in the summer, wasn't it? No. Well, I was wearing a jacket when I oh, shot well, it. <laughs> it was last one. And now now we've got flying <laughs> along, so we've, we've spanned at least a couple of seasons since yeah. then. And and this, well, this will give us a little more international uh, flavor. The guy you're speaking with is from Sweden. Yeah. Well, he's from Mississippi, but he's from Sweden too. I guess, I guess he must be originally from Sweden. Yeah, but he, but he, he's uh, Mississippi's his home. Yeah, and we got Mike up here. Mike, it's good to see you again. We had you on here last year. Um, uh, you've got some Christmas surprises for us coming up a little later, don't you? Uh, we sure do, George. A little different this year. Yeah, it is going to be a little different. It's going to be a lot of fun too. Yeah, Mike's the one that brought us the uh, Amateur Logic Gift bu- Gift Buyer's Guide. Yeah, last year the buyer the Christmas Gifts Buyer's Guide. Yeah, that was um, that that was quite a well. I don't know what to call it. You know, we we were having trouble calling it then. But, <laughs> uh, Mike, what what happened? Why do we not have the gift guide this year? 
Well, actually, we ran into a few issues with the uh, some of the product. Um, the, uh, the the skyhooks they they just weren't holding up, and the and the Tommy gun uh, it was a little too powerful. I mean, it's supposed to launch uh, your 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 lead so you can feed your antenna wire, and uh, it was taking down trees. So we we <laughs> had to recall those. <laughs> Were there any injuries? Uh, not that I'm aware of, and I'm sure I would have heard from the lawyers by now if that were the case. Yeah. Hopefully well. it displaced at least a few squirrels. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How's your squirrel problem going, Tommy? Uh, well, I, I had to put the antenna back up again about a month, or, maybe a month or so back. But yeah. uh, so far it's still up. That's good. <laughs> well, you know, Tommy and I... Um, we launched a, a pilot episode for a new show. Uh, I guess that was the end of November, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ham College. Hamcollege.tv, and and this is a show for people who are interested in getting into amateur radio. <laughs> yeah, uh, trying to get people's interest sparked and, and show them exactly how easy it is to get your ticket. Yeah, and also for new hams, we hope to have some uh, uh, stuff in there that'll be of interest to you. And you know. We got a lot of email about this. We started getting emails, Facebook posts, YouTube comments, really. Twitter. Twitter. Every, every, yeah. Everywhere. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was very well accepted. So I, I guess uh, in light of all the positive responses, I guess we well, say let's just continue on with it. I think so. I think we're going to have to do it. And, uh, yeah, most everybody liked it. A few people had suggestions and we're looking at those, and uh, you know, a lot of the guys had been hounds for years, and they said they really enjoyed, you know, some of the review and and going over those questions and things. Yeah, so. I, I can understand that. I actually enjoyed kind of reviewing it myself as we were shooting. Yeah. So it's kind of neat to go back and get a refresher. Yeah, we got the the other two guys over here, over there. They uh, it, they <laughs> they can get something out of the show too. But the the questions, if you're not in the United States. The questions may not be correct for your country, so you kind of want to watch them. But there will be technical uh, questions as we get on into it that will be applicable to anybody using electricity. Right, right. And yeah. we're, we're going to do some more demonstrations. The uh, the demonstration on there was uh, was fairly popular, I think, and uh, we'll be doing plenty more of that type of stuff. Yeah. Well, let's get on into the show here. Um, Tommy, you just told us that you had shot some video a while back. Why don't you set it up for us? Okay, well, you know, we went to uh, Gigapart today over in Huntsville, and we ran into our friend Arnie. Arnie's probably in the chat room right now. He usually is. Uh, he probably is. He's, yeah. he's been a great uh, friend and uh, viewer for a long time. And uh, he had a pretty interesting toy with him in a box. Uh, let, let's take a look at it. Okay. How you doing, Arnie? I'm doing fine. How are you? Yeah, man, I'm doing great. Having a good time here. I saw something really neat in the little box you've been carrying around. Can you yeah. tell us what you got? Yes. Uh, I bought an IC7100. And you know that has a remote control head and a separate radio box. And then when I was on a trip abroad, I found out there is a box so you can separate them. So you can have one with you in your car and or in a hotel room. And then you have your radio box at your home, QTH. And it's called Remote Rig. And then actually I have it... Uh, connected wirelessly to an AT&T hotspot so I can actually be driving around and 
calling internets and he works both on HF and two meter D store and and seventy centimeters. Oh wow! So so you can use the the head that's in your box and use your radio and your antenna that's at home where you, wherever your base is set up and use your good antenna and everything. Exactly. And if I would go to another country, for example, I can hook it up directly to a wireless connection, a Wi-Fi connection, instead of having like an, a, a, a Tor Hill antenna on my truck and so on. I can connect to my home QTH and have the in very good antennas and so on, and it can reach everywhere. So, do you do you leave it on here when you go back home overseas? Yeah, the, when home is here in the U.S. <laughs> Ex home. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, yeah, I'm gonna leave it here and then bring the control unit and the remote rig with me to to Sweden when we're there for our summer vacation. And uh, so then, then I can have very good contacts with the different phone nets and the different friends I have on the different bands and have very good connections. I try to do like 40 meter and uh, such connections from Sweden to the US and it's almost impossible. And D-Star doesn't work really well either because they're two different systems. Right. Yeah, they're on IRCDDB. Yeah, exactly. And here in the US is US Trust. So by keeping the unit here, I can connect to D-Store through the Unis Trust to our server where I live. Oh, that's great. Can you show us what you've got? Yeah. So here we have the IC7100 control head. And normally it comes with a cable much longer than this that is connected to the radio box. With the remote rig that looks like this, and on the remote rig is installed the wireless antenna. So, so that's a Wi-Fi antenna. That's a Wi-Fi antenna that is needed because I want to connect to an uh, to an uh, AT&T hotspot or a Verizon hotspot. You can connect the box directly to the Ethernet if you have a router at home. So at home I have an identical box connected to my DSL line and then connected to the radio unit. So then I use an AT&T wireless hotspot for the connection to make it very portable I have bought this you see this the hand is a handgun case so everything fits very neatly in this and in order to have it really remotely usable you need to have a good battery and then I have this anchor battery this is really powerful it's 20,000 milliamp hours or 20 amp hours so I that's well enough for many many hours of operation to to power the remote box and the control unit and actually I can use it also to charge the hotspot okay. so maybe I should try to hook it up and yeah, yeah. <laughs> see if it works here I'm going to slip that back out of your pocket there so, so I connect connect the remote rig to the anchor battery and then I connect the control unit to the right connection on the remote rig and then I need to wait to establish a connection with a hotspot and that can take a little time
And while we're waiting on that, I just got a question. Is that remote rig, is that dedicated only for that exact radio? Or? Yes. So what you have to do is uh, when you get it, it's... It, it can be used for many different radios, not only this one here. It can be like a 480 or whatever. Uh, radios that have a detachable control unit for the main radio. And then a remote rig have very nice instructions on the website. So you have to put some jumpers in the right holes or connections in order to customize it. But it's extremely easy with the IC7100 because the IC7100 has a shielded CAT6 Ethernet cable. So that's a very, very simple interface. Other radios, maybe you have to run several wires. Okay. Let's see if it has connected. Yeah, it's a steady green light, so it has connected. So now I can turn it on. So now it's starting up the radio box at home. And I can do all the different functions, switch the different uh, frequency and bands. Can I back up a second? So when you turned this on, it actually powered on the one, the remote? Exactly. That's nice. Yeah. So actually, the signal goes from the control unit to the remote box, wirelessly to the hotspot, through the AT&T mobile wireless system. And then it comes back on, on the DSL line to my <laughs> wireless router at home, you know. So it's pretty impressive. Yeah. yeah. And you can, for example, tune it. So now it tunes it here. The radio box has two antennas, one for HF and one for UHF, VHF, you know. So I, I can go here and switch bands to FM. I can change the frequency so this is a server in Alabama or a repeater in Alabama you just have to go to FM there this is FM this is frequency there's no traffic right now you can go to uh, D-Storm it's not bad on there at the moment so how's the latency on it when you it's, when it's, you, t- you know I you could think that it's very much, but I had a handy talkie on at the same time and did it over the two-meter repeater, and it was a fraction of a second. I mean, it was very, very little. Oh, that's great, because I was thinking it might be a little bit long. It, it makes it kind of, Sometimes when you have that long pause in between, it makes it difficult to carry on the conversation. But, but it, I mean, it doesn't. It's, I think it's specially made for low latency. It actually says that in the, in the documentation. And I checked it with, with, with on FM. Still working on it to make a neat installation because I need to pad it more and so on. But I have the the remote rig in the bottom. Then I put the battery above it, and then the control unit here. And then I have some accessories here. And then I put my mic here. And then I have a little pouch for my hotspot. And I just pack it together. Really, ch- now I turned it back side, but <laughs> I have to redo it. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, a, I'm a witness that it all does fit in there, so I saw it. 
I wonder when they're going to get that uh, Vegemite sandwich. Yeah, Vegemite sandwich. We're we're uh, making those up, and okay. uh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, thanks thanks again for showing us that and taking the time. It's Thank pretty impressive. Me. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's good to see you as always, Arnie. To you too. That uh, that's a pretty impressive setup. Uh, it takes uh, remote bases to a whole different level. Yeah, it really does. And I think it would fit very nicely in a large suitcase, and you'd still have plenty of uh, room for clothes and whatever else you're bringing along. Yeah, it, it oh, really yeah. would, yeah. Yeah, it, the the box he had it in, I'm not sure if you could hear him, but it was just a handgun mm-hmm. case. Um, so it was really small. Yeah. If you had a 7100 uh, and that thing, you'd be fixed up when you're Man, traveling. That, w- that, w- that would be so awesome. Yeah. I, I would u- could use that from the hotel, like, all the time. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's fact, Hannah, did you say that's a handgun case? Like, we don't have any guns <laughs> here in Australia. USA. So I imagine if you go into uh, the airport with that thing, um, the uh, uh, the airport authorities are going to go, hang on, what are you bringing on board? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's not a gun. It's just a bomb here. You know, all these wires and things. Yeah. Well, fair enough. Yeah, a, just make sure it's off so they don't see the, the clock. Well, let's hope on. the TSA's not watching this because i got to get on another airplane Monday morning. Yeah. He's <laughs> on the no-fly list now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, when we shot that interview, we were where? At Gigaparts in Huntsville. Yeah, it was at Gigaparts Ham Radio Day, wasn't it? Yeah. The new Heil Pro 7 headset was designed using technology Bob Heil learned from Paul Klipsch back in the early 70s. The ear cup is specially tuned for very low distortion with maximum voice articulation, providing the ultimate communication sound reproduction. The 2-inch thick gel foam ear pads provide extreme comfort for extended periods of operation and passive noise reduction to minus 26 dB, ideal for use in high ambient noise environments. The exclusive Heil Phase Reversal System allows you to acoustically move signals forward and creates a spatial widening of the sound field, making it easier to pull a weak signal from a pileup. The Pro 7 also includes a speaker balance control and the ability to interchange microphone elements. The Pro 7 comes with a Heil HC7 dynamic element featuring the Heil speech articulation response curve and the Pro 7 IC has an electric element for low-gain ICOM radios. With color choices of black, red, blue, and pink, there's a Heil Pro 7 headset made just for you. Gigaparts is the largest independent amateur radio dealer in the nation. Everything you need for ham radio, including books, DVDs, antennas, rope, coax, and tuners. Gigaparts has it all and is open Monday through Saturday. Call us toll-free at 866-535-4442. And our friendly staff will be happy to help you find the right products for nearly any project and budget. Online shopping made easy with real-time pricing and availability. And free shipping on most orders. Go to gigaparts.com and enter to win a free radio. Have a question? Click on live chat for a quick answer. Low prices? Huge selection. America's favorite ham radio store is Gigaparts. Now through January 1st of 2015, use the coupon code ALTV-WINTER at gigaparts.com and save $10 when you buy $100 or more worth of Heil microphones or Heil headsets. Yeah, awesome. That's a good deal. But, you know, th- those were some nice headsets. I had them here. You know, that commercial was shot here. Yeah. 
and uh, I was really impressed with them. Yeah, they're nice. Yeah. Uh, Do they fit over the ear, George? Yes, they're over the ear. Comfortable? Yes, and they they give a lot of isolation, too, which would be good Mm -hmm. when you're in a room with a lot of operators. Mm -hmm. You know, it would really uh, keep the racket down. Uh, Great field day set. Yeah. So, Peter, what uh, what have you got for us this month? Well, I've, uh, funnily enough, we've been making uh, quite a number of shows, but we seem to have always skirted around the subject of propagation. So uh, I thought I'd uh, put something together on the subject. But uh, a word of warning before we start, I've kept everything really high level, and I, and I realise there are other forms of uh, propagation, such as sporadic E and tropospheric ducting, etc. But the idea was just a, a basic intro into skywave propagation. So here you go. Ah, nice roses. Hello everyone, welcome once again. This month's subject is propagation. Now you ask, what is propagation? Well, propagation, according to this definition that I found on the internet, is the production of more plants by seeds, cuttings, grafting and other methods. Now of course, that's to do with gardening. You're probably more interested in radio propagation. So how do you propagate radio waves? Well, what you do is you cut a little bit of the radio wave off. You plant it in some soil, you add some nutrients and some sunshine and wait, and it grows up to be a full-size radio wave. Hmm, that doesn't sound quite right. I think I'm going to have to go back to the ARRL handbook and check what radio propagation really is. Hmm, it seems I was wrong. Propagation in a radio context is a form of wave propagation. This involves the motion of a wave throughout a medium or the transference of its energy. In the context of radio, we talk about radio propagation, which involves how well a radio wave propagates throughout the atmosphere to the listener's location. First, though, let's consider how the energy in a radio wave behaves when transmitted from a radio station. We'll assume we're using a vertical antenna, and the radiation of the signal is going out in all directions. Initially, we start with a set amount of energy, say 100 watts of power, which travels to the antenna, and the energy leaves the antenna as an electromagnetic wave the electromagnetic wave behaves much like the energy in a sea wave. You've probably heard of how an earthquake can cause a big sea wave called a tsunami, which can cause a lot of damage. An earthquake near Japan caused the Fukushima disaster, but the west coast of America, which is also across the sea from the earthquake, was not affected. Why didn't a big wave hit there? The answer is that the energy in the sea wave spreads out as the wave moves outward from its source. The initial energy amount is spread out over a larger area. So if you're close to the source of the wave, you would get a very strong wave, whilst if you're far away, the power of the wave you will receive is just a small fraction of the original power. Similarly, With a radio wave, the transmitted energy of the radio wave spreads out the further it travels from its source. If you're close to the source, you receive a strong signal, and if you're farther away, a much weaker signal. Radio waves generally travel in straight lines, so if I'm on the other side of the world from an overseas radio station, how can I receive its transmission? 
The answer is that there's a layer in the atmosphere called the ionosphere, which sometimes reflects radio waves. It acts much like a mirror. Actually, the layer is several layers, but we're not going to get into the fine detail of all the layers and when each layer is reflective. The purpose of this segment is to give you some practical hints on when to use what band to get long distances. One important concept to understand is the concept of maximum usable frequency. At any given time, there's a limit at which the ionosphere starts to reflect radio waves less and less. At frequencies above this limit, it will be difficult, if not impossible, to hear transmissions requiring reflection by the ionosphere, such as from over the horizon. Maximum usable frequency is defined as the highest frequency at which skywave communication is possible 50% of the days in a month. But that limit changes according to solar conditions and the state of the ionosphere. On one day, the maximum usable frequency may be 17 MHz, and on another, 19 MHz. The daily maximum usable frequency is like a box of chocolates. You never quite know what you're going to get. Enough theory. What you really need to know is, how far away can I hear radio signals from and transmit radio signals to at certain times of the day? Let's start with frequencies around 1.8 to 2 MHz. During the day, the D layer absorbs the signals, so long-distance transmission and reception is only at night time. 3.4 to 4 MHz is similar to 1.8 to 2 MHz, except that the daytime absorption is not quite as severe. At a maximum, you should get transmission and reception distances of 400 km in the daytime. Around 5.3 MHz, again, nighttime is best for worldwide propagation, but daytime signal absorption is again a little less, so propagation distances of 600 km is now possible. At 7 MHz, otherwise known as the 40 meter band, daytime propagation can be up to 800 km, and reliable worldwide communication is possible at night. At 10 MHz, also known as the 30 meter band, there's a lot less daytime signal absorption, so signals can go halfway around the world. However, the band can be affected by periods of heightened solar activity, such as at the peak of the sunspot cycle every 11 years or so. Worldwide communication is possible at night. It's one of the more reliable bands for long-distance communication. At this point, the maximum usable frequency becomes important. In years of solar maximum in the sunspot cycles, the maximum usable frequency may allow the use of frequencies above 10 MHz at night. In years of solar minimum, the maximum usable frequency can drop below 10 MHz at night, thus long-distance communication will only be possible where the maximum usable frequency is higher than the band you wish to work on. For example, in a solar minimum, the maximum usable frequency might be 12 MHz, so long-distance communication at night on 14 MHz would be unlikely. But in periods of solar maximum, the maximum usable frequency might get as high as 26 MHz, which would allow for the use of the 21 MHz band at night. 
14 MHz, otherwise known as the 20 meter band, worldwide propagation is possible during the day and during periods of solar maximum, the band is generally open at night too. 18 MHz is similar to 14 MHz, but the number of days the maximum usable frequency will be sufficiently high enough to work long distance on this band at night will be less than on 14 MHz. 21 MHz is basically a daytime-only band for long-distance purposes, but when the maximum usable frequency is sufficiently high, it can be used at night. And finally, 24 and 28 MHz are similarly daytime bands, but nighttime use is dependent on how high the maximum usable frequency gets. That about covers the bands below 30 MHz, otherwise known as the shortwave bands. The simple way to remember the main forms of propagation, in my opinion, is that for daytime use, propagation distance is low, but gets greater as you go higher in frequency. The bands above 10 MHz are best for daytime use for long-range communication. For nighttime use, the lower frequencies offer more reliable long-distance communication. However, for frequencies above 10 MHz, the bands will only be open for long-distance communication if the maximum usable frequency is sufficiently high, which will generally be in periods of solar maximum, i.e. when there are lots of sunspots on the sun. So, is there a quick and reliable way to know whether there is propagation between your location and another location on the Earth's surface. Actually, there are several. Let's start with shortwave listeners and with the example that it's midnight and I know that there's a transmission coming from Radio Tashkent in Uzbekistan on 11550 kHz. We will assume also that I have a sensitive receiver with a good antenna system. In my opinion, the most reliable indicator of propagation is to turn the radio on and see whether you're receiving a signal. Notwithstanding all the charts, theories and ionospheric layers, propagation can defy explanation. So if the signal is there, it's there. The proof is in the pudding. Also, I find WSPRnet to be a useful resource for knowing what real-time propagation is like at a given point in time. You can look at WSPRnet.org and select Maps. The real-time maps here show you whether WSPR stations are being received in other countries on a given band. They can give a general indication as to which bands are open at a given point in time. Australia is fortunate in having a government body that provides detailed, up-to-date information on band conditions and also the maximum usable frequency across areas of Australia. Visit IPS Radio and Space Services at www.ips.gov.au and select HF Systems in the menu. The ionospheric maps and ionogram viewer pages provide a wealth of data about ionospheric conditions and usable frequencies. For those in other countries, check out www.spacew.com, which has similar information. Uh, that was interesting. You know, um, it is kind of 
kind of weird how how that stuff happens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No doubt. This is a nice job on that segment too. And, and you can't count on it. You know, being the same every day at the same time. It's not, is it? Yeah. There's, uh, of course, there's a lot of other forms of propagation that I didn't get into, but one of the most interesting is, and you may have even heard of this on rare occasions, is sometimes people have actually heard a transmission and then heard an echo of it and then an echo of it and then an echo of it, as if it's gone round the world several times. And uh, nobody has ever been able to explain exactly what that is. Yeah, long-distance echoes. I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've never, I've never actually heard the that phenomenon before. Have you? You know, I actually have. Really? But it wasn't. Uh, I only heard one, one repeat. I was on uh, the Simplex channel we used to talk on back in the nineties, and I was on there late one night, and I keyed up, and I said my call letters, and I let go, and I heard my call letters come back to me. I said, somebody's out there recording me and playing this back. And I did it again, and I heard it again. Well, you know, I think I've heard that on, on there, but I assumed there was somebody with a simplex repeater. That's what somewhere. it was. I didn't know that, but that's oh. what it was. I, I think I decided it was over in Texas or somewhere. Oh. But, uh, yeah, that's what that was. And I, I think uh, sometimes what it can be is it's actually your signal literally going around the world. Yeah. Uh, but the hell, uh, the timing of that... I'm not quite sure about how long it would take, uh, you know, at the speed of light. It'd yeah. be tough on two meters. Yeah, you could be bouncing off the moon or Uranus. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you know, if... if oh, dear. Yeah. Be sure to tip your waitress. Yeah. If, you know, the band conditions get really poor... There is something that you can do about it. When it comes to operating HF ham bands, you can run anywhere from a few milliwatts to 1,500 watts maximum. However, when noisy conditions and crowded bands occur, you may have to sit out and wait till things improve. Not everyone can afford a 1,500-watt amplifier, but did you know that the first 600 watts often makes a difference between getting through and being buried in the noise? Ameritron's AL811 and AL811H linear amplifiers give you plenty of power to bust through QRM and crowded band conditions. These quiet compact desktop linears will slide right into your station. They conveniently plug into the nearest 120 volt AC outlet or change the transformer taps and operate from 240 volts. There are three tough 811A transmitting tubes in the AL811 for 600 watts while the AL811H adds a fourth tube for 800 watts. Both models feature an extra heavy-duty power supply, all HF band coverage, pressurized ventilation, tuned input, dual illuminated meters, adjustable ALC, and more. The AL811 gives you 600 watts PEP output. That's nearly two full S units over your barefoot rig. Going from 600 watts to the full legal limit of 1500 watts gives you less than one S unit increase. Is that fraction of an S unit worth three or four times the money you'd spend? Maybe that's why more hams use Ameritron AL811 and AL811H amplifiers than any other amplifier in the world. And they're built right here in the USA. If you're ready to step up from a barefoot ham rig and enjoy more contacts and less repeating your call sign for those who can't hear you through the noise, then you owe it to yourself to take a look at Ameritron's AL811 and AL811H linear amplifiers. Visit Ameritron.com today and learn more.
That looks like your amp. That was my amp. Yeah? Yeah. I, I have an AL811H. It's actually been modified. It's the AL811HD with the 572B tubes in it. That's another model they carry. It's a little bit more. Um, but just like I was saying there, 1,500 watts, yeah, that's fine. But if you can get five or 600 watts out there, you're going to be doing substantially better than, oh, yeah. than you would with 100 watts. Yeah, no doubt. You've had that thing a good while, haven't you? I've had it a number of years yeah. now. I, I know you've been pretty pleased with it. I, I've been very pleased with it. So uh, I, I know, uh, you know a lot of guys I talk with have the really big amps and all, but, uh, hey, uh, they're hearing me. So, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah, it's working. <laughs> yeah, it is working. Um, well, let's see. You know, it's that time of year again. Oh, and these yeah. two guys here with the uh, red hats on there. Yeah, and we, we look like we've been to a lumberjack convention. Well, yeah, we do. Um, every year at this time, the people over at Do Drop In have something a little special. Oh, well, boys and girls, it's my favorite time of the year again. That's right, time for the Santa Watch Net. That's right, Santa will be making his rounds, and once again, for the fourth year in a row, the gang at the Do Drop In will be watching the radar. Join the Santa Watch Net, starting at 1800 hours Eastern Time. Oh, my little elf Dave in 3NTV will be calling the net and keeping track of old Santa's location. And like last year, Santa has a radio in his sleigh, and he may chat with the kids again. Oh, bring all the little ones and get them checked in. Third-party traffic, of course, always on the nice list. Once again, the Santa Watch Net, Christmas Eve, 1800 hours Eastern, on the Do Drop In Echo Link Conference Server, number 355-800. Merry Christmas from me, Santa, and of course, my little elves at the Do Drop In. Boy, Santa's a jolly old fellow there, isn't he? Yeah, I didn't know he had a rig in this sleigh. I didn't either. Although I think I saw a picture with a dual-band antenna on a sleigh one time. Yeah. That could have been his. That's true. Yeah. That's cool. It looks well, like a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, with all that RF around, maybe that explains why Rudolph's nose glows red. Ah. I think that's from the 40-ouncer in his sack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be Either like. one of those would probably do it. Yeah, you're you're up closer to the north. Well, I mean, from where Tommy and I are sitting, you're practically in the North Pole. Do, do you ever pick up Santa on the radio up there? I did actually last year. They they have them on NORAD every year. Uh, they track them. I'm not quite sure what they do to track them, but uh, they do a pretty good job. Cool. Yeah, cool. So, well, we, we've seen Peter's segment. We've seen mine. And I'm hoping I know what you've done, because I've been looking forward to it if you did. But tell us what you have for us this month. Well, this month, um, we're going to wind up our series on the cheap Arduino. You know, the little Arduino uh, clone that I built. Yeah, that that is what I was looking forward to. And I I did some measurements and found out something interesting about it that, uh, hey, maybe even Peter could use. But I also finished up the uh, you know antenna servo project. That was all part of the same build there. Now, I've shown you before the schematic for the cheap Arduino and the reason for building it and the PC board layout and how I went about that. I also showed you my antenna switcher connections that I used to relay and just a couple of resistors in there, and that's pretty much it. The rest of it is just an Arduino. Here it is, the cheap Arduino. I've got the PC boards back from Express PCB. 
and I've stuffed one here with all the components. All my legends turned out pretty good, so I got away without purchasing the silk screening on it. Uh, there's the ATmega 328P chip, the crystal and the two capacitors with it. Resistor here for the reset button, which is right there. And our power supply, which is the 5-volt regulator. And three capacitors here. And that's all there is to it. And, of course, we've got our sockets for the connections around here. Let's look at the back of it. This is where most of the wiring took place. And you can see it uh, turned out pretty good there. And you can see this rough edge right here where I cut two of these apart, you know. I had two of these per board, so I've got six of them total. And here's my little proto area. And you can see I just put aside a little area there that I could put some external components on to build up specific circuits. This line right here is the 5-volt rail that I put on it. And this line over here on this side is ground, and you can see those just all connect to the ground plane. And so it's turned out pretty good, but in the process of testing them, I noticed something a little bit unusual. It seemed that the chip was just running hotter than I thought it should, and the regulator was running warmer too, so I did a few tests. Now, here's one of my cheap Arduinos. This one's set up to do my antenna servo project. I've mounted the relay and the other components on there, and it's getting a little bit warm. The regulator's feeling a little warmer, too. And if I compare this to my regular Arduino Uno, it's not nearly as hot as this one is here. Now, if we look closely at the chip here, we'll see something that says pin 4 dead. This particular chip was in an Arduino, and I was doing some experimenting, and I destroyed input number four on it. And I was thinking, well, I only need, you know, three I.O. pins for this project right here. Why don't I just use this chip? Uh, no need to throw it away. Well, let's run some current tests here and see if that's the case. This one's drawing 134 milliamps, and I don't know if that's typical or not, so let's try a regular Uno. Our test setup here, I've got 7.5 volts coming into the connector, and the regulator on the Uno drops it down to 5 volts, and then I've got our ammeter connected in series with the negative lead of the power supply. It wouldn't have mattered. I could have put it on the positive just as well. Now, this chip doesn't feel hot, and you can see we've only got 57 milliamps there, less than half of what the other one was drawing. So it may not be a good idea to use a chip with a bad I.O. pin. Let's take the chip out of the Uno and try it in our cheap Arduino. Wow, about 22 milliamps. That's considerably less than we had to start with. And, you know, that's less than half of what we had when the same chip was in the Uno. Well, remember, the Uno had some components that we didn't put on the cheap Arduino we just built this one strictly with the components that you absolutely had to have, and we left out a number of parts. Apparently, they drew a lot more current than I would have imagined. So that means our cheap Arduino would be good for battery-powered projects. But keep in mind that we weren't really doing any work with it. If we had had the servo connected and operating, it would have drawn more current. So if you've got an Arduino with a bad I.O. on it, Probably best to just chunk that. And here's my completed Arduino antenna switcher. I've named it the Auto Antenna Disconnect because that's basically what it does. 
So let's take a look at what we got here. Starting on the top, we can run 12 to 6 volts in. I'm running 7.5 from a wall wart. Input here is where our rig connects to the antenna switch that's on the inside. On the bottom here, we've got a shorting jumper so that when the rig is turned off, it's connected to a short. And over here, we've got the antenna jack, connector antenna there. So when the rig is powered up, it goes straight to from input out to the antenna. Here's an RCA plug labeled plus 12 activate. This is where we'll hook the connection from the rig in the accessory port that only has voltage on it when the rig is powered on. And we've got our servo mounted here on the top. If we open it up and have a look on the inside, there's a little knob that I had built to fit the antenna switch. There's the antenna switch itself right here. This is where the rig will connect. Here's a little power connector on the inside. And down in here is our cheap Arduino with the code that runs this project. It all fit neatly into this electrical box. The only drawback uh, really that I see with it is that I have to take the top off the box to be able to screw the rig coax to the top of it. Other than that, everything came together pretty good. Now this little connector right here, you may be interested in these. I picked some of these up when I was at Pacificon this year. I've seen them at other ham fest too. These are usually sold by the guys who have all the LED lighting. It's basically just a little coaxial power connector and then screw terminals on the rear of it to connect your wires. And here I've got a female one too. So these are going to be real handy for different projects that I've got. And this is the first one I've used right here. I just hot glued it right in and, and uh, gave me a good little female connection there for the power. We'll have to look at the code to see how you turn the servo because that's going to be custom for each one of these it's built because you got to turn it just the correct number of degrees for your antenna switch in here and that's all going to depend on how the servo's mounted. So the way I did it is I took my AT Mega 328P, plugged it into my Arduino Uno, then I did my programming with the servo connected and got everything just right where it was turning the correct number of degrees either direction. Then I popped that chip out and put it in my cheap Arduino on the inside. We've looked at all parts of this project now except the source code, so let's take a look at it. At the top here, we've just got some comments identifying who the author is and telling a little bit about the program. Then we declare some variables. We use the pound include statement with servo.h, and that includes the servo control library with our program. We create a servo object, and we call it switch servo. And then we have some integers, a couple here for buttons. We'll call them button 1 and button 2. Button 1 is assigned to I.O. pin number 4, and button 2 is assigned to I.O. pin number 6. Button 1 here is the normally open contacts of the relay, and button 2 is the normally closed contacts. Then we've got a couple of integers here to hold the states of those buttons, or actually contacts on the relay. Button state 1 and button state 2, we're initializing both of them to 0. And then we've got an integer for own position. I've set that to 80. And that tells us what position the servo should be in when the antenna switch is on. And we've got another integer off position. And I've got it set to 144. That tells the servo where it should turn to when the antenna switch should be off. 
Now, those two values are going to change there just depending on how you got your servo mounted. And next, we've got the setup section of the program here. We'll use a couple of pin mode statements, one for button one, which actually means it's going to be I.O. pin number four. And we're going to set it to input. And we're going to do the same thing for button two, which is I.O. pin number six, and set it for input. And then we'll do a serial begin and set it for 9600 baud. Now that's optional. That's just in case you want to be able to plug it into a computer and look at this on a terminal. And down here we've got the loop portion of the program, and this is where all the work actually goes on. We begin declaring an integer, POS, and we'll set it to whatever the value of switch servo dot read is. Now, what this does here is it looks back up and it sees that switch servo is our servo object. So it's just going to call that servo object and read it and tell us the last position that we had sent to the servo. And then we'll use the serial.println command to print POS, which will tell us the position of the servo. And then we'll get button state 1 by doing a digital read of button 1. And you remember button 1 is IO pin 4 here. And we'll check that to see if button 1 state is high and POS is not equal to own position. If that's the case, that means the relay has switched and button state 1 is reading high now. But we're not actually in the own position, so we need to adjust the servo to go to the own position. So we'll execute this code here between these braces. We'll set switch servo.attach. And we'll put a 9 in there. That means that we're going to have the servo connected to IO pin 9. And then we'll do a write switch servo dot write on position. And you may remember on position is 80. We had written that up there. That's the position the servo should be turned to. And then we'll delay for 1,000 milliseconds or one second to allow the servo to get in the correct position. And then we'll do a switch servo dot detach. And what this does is releases the servo. We no longer need it. It's already turned the switch to the position it should be. And so there's no need to have it sitting there constantly trying to adjust itself. And then we'll do a serial.println. And we're just going to print the text here on the screen, button one high, antenna switch on. Now that won't do anything in our cheap Arduino because we're not going to be using the serial lines. And next we'll do the same thing we did in button one state here in this block of code down here with button 2 state. It's essentially the same thing, except we're looking at button 2, and that's connected to the relays normally closed. After that, we delay for 15 milliseconds, and we repeat the whole loop over continuously as long as the Arduino is powered up. And that's it. Pretty simple little code here to control a servo and use a relay to let us know when we need to switch our antenna on and off. That's very cool. Yeah. The, only, the only thing that I saw that kind of bothered me, it's got a pretty long name. You could have called it like an Antduino or something. Antduino? Yeah. I could have. You're talking about on the, on the servo box? Uh -huh. and, yeah, could have. The, the, low, the low pad consumption is, uh, is really, really good, mm -hmm. but you can actually go a lot further than that. Uh, I believe that if you clock it down to 8 megs, that reduces the power consumption further. And then there are sleep routines available on the internet, or rather sleep libraries. I think one's called Narcoleptic from memory, which uh, will enable you to put the Arduino to sleep for periods of time, thus saving even more power. So you can make uh, uh, just an ordinary battery last a really, really long time. 
Yeah, I suppose you could. That that wasn't my purpose in building this one. It was just a, a side effect. Mm-hmm. I noticed that it, you know, half the current right. draw of a regular NO. Yeah, yeah, that that was pretty low current uh, consumption on it. Yeah. But uh, th- those are pretty interesting techniques, though. I might have to explore those in the future. Yeah, I, you know, i got uh, five more of those boards. I've already built up a second one. And now I'm going to have to order some more of the 18 mega 328p chips because I threw away the one with the bad pin. Yeah, I've got one with a bad number two pin if you want it. Might as well throw it away, too. Actually, I really I did throw it away. When I was watching your segment and I saw that, I'm like, well, shucks, I should have probably kept that chip. Yeah. And then I saw what happened. I'm like, nah, I guess yeah. I did all right by well, throwing it in the trash. You know, I was just thinking about it because... I kept feeling the chip. I said, I just think that's too hot, you know. And I said, um, maybe I need some different filter capacitors on that regulator. Maybe it's oscillating. So I pulled out my oscilloscope, measured around everything. Now it all looked okay. And I said, well, maybe I'll just check the current draw. And that's when I stumbled across that. Uh-huh. So from 131 milliamps down to, what did I say, 22? That's 20-something, yeah. Yeah. It, you can't hardly tell it's on now, heat-wise. Yeah. So was the voltage regulator pretty warm? Oh, yeah. It was difficult to hold your fingers on yeah. it. I mean, you could, That's but cool. yeah, it's pretty warm. I was thinking I'm going to have to put a heat sink on this thing, but no. Uh, doesn't need it at all. So Those are pretty uh, good quality circuit boards, too. Uh, yeah. I noticed even though you didn't get the, the uh, sonar mask, mm-hmm. they plated the whole thing. Um yeah, that was kind of a bonus. Yeah, they uh, they tint them, and so you know it's not really going to corrode, you know, yeah. like it would if it was just copper there. And you know, I was able to draw my lettering and numbers and everything right into the uh, uh, ground Where the plane. Copper is? Pardon me. Where the copper is? Yeah, uh, right, yeah. right and into the ground plane. Too. Yeah, so I I really didn't need the silk screen on there. You right. Know. Yeah, all my labeling was there. I'm going to do some more of that kind of stuff uh, next time. I'm going to try something else besides Express PCB. You know, uh, that was kind of high, uh, fifty-one dollars for three boards. I thought, but then again, uh, you know, it costs more when you're only getting a small quantity done. Right. right. But the software man is just so easy to use. Yeah. You know, it, uh, about the cost, though, I, I'm sure there's. There's bound to be a fair amount of setup time, yeah. In, in that, so. But I'm, there, there are actually places you can get them uh, cheaper than that. You know, I've been talking with some people, and uh, I'm going to try somewhere else in the future, and get them for a lot less than that. But I'm going to have to learn some different software, right? You know, so that's that's kind of a drawback there. I looked into doing those once uh, myself, but the uh, the problem for me is to ship them up to Canada was almost the cost of the. Of the boards themselves. Wow. By the time you had the shipping on. Yeah. Wow. Is, is Are uh, shipping costs usually that high to Canada from the U.S.? They, they can be. I guess it depends on the on the uh, the retailer. Um, sometimes they're pretty good. If they send them by U.S. Postal Service, it's usually pretty low. Not much different than it is to ship it within the continental U.S. But uh, if they happen to ship it UPS or one of the other couriers... Um, the cost goes up, and sometimes there's a brokerage fee on top of that, which is wow. yeah, it can be costly. Yeah. Is there not a Canadian vendor up there that can do that? 
Not that I'm aware of, not in the small quantities that, uh, you know, uh, Express PCB uh, offers. And that, and like George was mentioning, it's it's hard to get small runs because usually it's, it's a quantity of 1,000 as a minimum. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. You know, we had some built years ago for some projects that uh, yeah. that we did some commercial things. And I, I think I bought them 500 at a time. Who, who did those back then? Do you remember? Uh, it's that been was, so long. Agco, A-G-C-O, I think, in uh, Denver. So, uh, yeah. And, and that one, I think I actually drew that with one just paint, <laughs> you know. Okay, we're going to edit that yeah. piece out. Yeah, that, I mean, that was a really, really long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it worked, though. The guy took it and touched it up and made it work. Yeah, there are a bunch of them in radio stations all over the country, aren't yeah, there? Yeah, sure are. <laughs> well... Let's take a break now. You know, we're going to come back and we're going to celebrate in the true holiday spirit here. But uh, right now, let's get a message from one of the people who helped make Amateurologic possible. Looking for a new rig that combines time-honored analog functionality with the ability to give you safe, hands-free operation via optional Bluetooth module? Check out ICOM's new IC2730A. This dual-band analog-only mobile has a great interface and enhanced radio features for your next 2-meter, 70-centimeter adventure. ICOM's IC2730A is built military-tough and has a large high-contrast display, approximately one-and-a-half times larger than its predecessor, the IC2720H. It's got a white backlight for easy readability and independent band controls. Practical 2730A features include wide-frequency coverage, VHF-VHF, and UHF-UHF simultaneous receive capability, 50 watts output power on VHF and UHF bands, and 1,050. 52 memory channels. You can combine the IC2730's classic analog functionality with optional Bluetooth compatibility. For hands-free and remote control operation, install the optional VS3 Bluetooth headset and UT133 Bluetooth unit. Wirelessly control the radio with three programmable buttons plus a push-to-talk button. Make sure you visit icomamerica.com slash amateur for more information on the IC2730A dual bander and other great ICOM amateur radio rigs. As of November 2014, the FCC had not yet approved this radio for sale in the U.S., so check ICOM's website for more information. It, it should be coming soon. Well, Mike, we talked a little earlier about um, you know the holiday gift guide and uh, some of the complications there, but you did find something special for us for Christmas this year, didn't you? Yeah, we've put an album collection together. I think you're going to like it, George. Wow, that's a nice-looking collection. This is destined to be a Christmas classic for years. I think so. Tell us a little bit about it, Mike. Home for the Holidays. You probably recognize those uh, three fellas there. They they certainly are famous, and uh, certainly uh, you'll like uh, hearing what they have to have to say in their in their songs you know mike um uh, gordo and bob are a blast to sing with i'm not sure um oh which one of us is more embarrassed but you know it, it was it was quite a treat to, it could probably be equally spread among the three of you yeah i think it could <laughs> all the old time carols i didn't know too much about them but uh you know, they, uh, they look like they've been around for a while. Uh, <laughs> they do look old, don't they? They do, but, but yet disturbing at the same time. <laughs> it's very disturbing. Uh, the side tones. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, people don't realize it, but, you know, you would think this was a singing group, but actually this was a group of uh, telegraph operators. I, I think maybe we have a clip here of that. What can you say, man? That that just puts the barking dogs to shame, doesn't the, it? The chick with the goatee, she's it's got a certain appeal to her, doesn't she? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, wow. Professor knows for sure. Man, uh, where where did you find these, Mike? Uh, the internet's a wonderful thing, George. Oh yeah. yeah. Find anything on the internet. I guess so. We'll get the next one queued up here. Oh, boy. Now, this one, Tommy and I almost quit doing amateur logic here a while back to take on another career. I don't know what kind of rap it is, uh, what, what genre you would put that in. It's not it's not gangster rap. It's more like grandpa rap. <laughs> grandpa so rap. You can judge for yourself. Well, let's take a listen to it. It's beginning to look a lot like a ham shack. Everywhere you go. Take a listen to 3510. CW is booming again. With dipoles and filaments of glow. I, I, I guess it's good we continue doing amateur logic, huh? Yeah, I think I'd stick with the day job. Yeah, but you know, I still get calls from the agent trying to book us for those gigs every now and then, especially this time of year. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the guy that shook the sleigh bells for us, so, you know, he he left. He, he's he got a job he's got to do every December, so yeah, you know, we just couldn't get the band back together. Yeah, kind of broke the whole band up. Yep. There wasn't somebody called Yoko involved, was there? <laughs> oh, no, 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 not her. She's not responsible for this one. No. Okay. Okay. Boy, now this one... This is a real classic, isn't it? It is. It's an oldie but a goodie. Tell us about it, Mike. Jimmy, ignite the spirit. Um, yeah. Uh, Circuit Boards Roasting Over an Open Fire, I think, is his big hit on that album. Wow. Yeah, we don't have a clip of that, unfortunately. it's. Uh, I guess it's still being pressed as we speak. Yeah, well, so that's a shame. It's still being mastered, I think. You know, you can almost uh, smell the phenolic <laughs> right, right here, can't you? Yeah. Uh, well... Uh, we got some more over there, don't we? We do. Oh, boy, now, this is... The king. Well, what can you say about this, Mike? Kind of set it up before we go to it. Oh, Santa Rey. You know, actually, he's been spotted in a lot of Walmart stores lately, and I don't know what the reason is for that, but uh, I'm sure this one's going to be a hit. Oh, yeah. Now, now what's the, the new single there? What's that titled? Hamfest is Coming to Town. It had a groove in it, and it just kept skipping. But we can play the flip side, and I think this one's near to your heart, isn't yeah, it, Yeah, it is. And this is this is about somebody's antenna that came down by the squirrels. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'll have a blue Christmas without you. I'll have a blue Christmas without you. 
I need a BB gun for Christmas. That's what I need. <laughs> Ray will probably never speak to us again. <laughs> Boy, that's almost as good as that smash hit tap that thing. I can't it? believe you got Ray to do that. <laughs> you know, it sounded like... It really didn't sound much like Ray to me. No, his singing voice is totally different. Remember how Jim Neighbors was? Yeah. Gomer Pyle of one minute and singing really great the next. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 it kind of had a... <laughs> he kind of had an Alabama accent, didn't he? <laughs> Okay, well, we, we've got another smash hit here. Yeah, Sam, I don't know if you want to play any of those, George. There's a, an advisory on that album. Unless you've previewed it, um, I advise caution. Okay, who is this? That's Sanchez Helper, the Dan N9LVS. Oh, okay, yeah, I recognize him now. I just, I didn't recognize him with the cap on. <laughs> that just kind of threw me off. Well, we yeah, d- this is a family show. Yeah, so we, we ha- we're going to have to skip over that one. We better... We better not play that. Oh, and here's a, a list of some others that uh, that uh, w- w- there's no photos for them. I guess it just wasn't room. What, tell us what we've got on there. All I want for Christmas is a new ham rig. I think maybe we have a sample of that one. Parents will be playing that for their kids on Christmas Eve for years to come. I know I will. <laughs> I think it's going to be hit just like uh, the Chipmunks' uh, Christmas Christmas. Yeah. All I want for Christmas is a new ham rig. I bet That's all just, anybody wants. I'm tearing up over here. I'm still tearing. Yeah, yeah, man. I hadn't stopped yet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we uh, we have circuit boards roasting on open fire, but that one's still being mastered, so I don't yeah. think we have to flip on that one. We have uh, CQ to the world, and do you hear what I hear on fourteen dot three one three? And of course, that uh, that one has the advisory on it, so we can, we can't let you hear that one. <laughs> and then we have uh, go tell it on the airwaves. Yeah. And of course, we uh, we've got uh, uh, rock and raise Hamfest is coming to town, and Hammy Holiday. Um, I, I think that one's going to be a holiday favorite, actually. Yeah, I wish we had a cut of it, but we don't. Yeah. Oh, it's and, too bad. Yeah, and I, I'm sure Val would have liked this one. Have yourself a merry little contest. Yeah, it's beginning to look like a lot like Ham Shack. Of course, we heard that one. There's no place like the Ham Shack for the holidays. Oh, I, I know we've got that. Let me let me see if I can find it here. Oh, there is no place like the Ham Shack for the holidays. Cause no matter how far away you QSO. When you pine for the sunspots and a DX call for the holidays, you can't beat Sweet Ham Shack. That kind of sounds familiar, too. I can't place the artist, though. Sounds a little like uh, Red So Vine, but I don't think it's him. Well, yeah, I was thinking William Shatner, but... uh, (laughs) Yeah, it had a little Johnny Cash influence. In there too, I think. Anyway, 
Man, what a great collection, Mike. We appreciate you digging up these uh, oldies but goodies and the new hits there, too. Where, where can we get that collection? Yeah, where can we find this? Uh, it's not, uh, hasn't been released yet, uh, George or Tommy. Um, we're, we're still working out the details on that one. So hopefully it'll be out at least this time for next Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so, you know. Um, well, I, I can just see it flying off the shelf. I tell you what, a Black Friday sale is what we need a black, to have. Yes, next right yeah. after next Thanksgiving. Yep, a couple of those probably belong in some kind of sale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but Mike, we really appreciate it. You know, uh, we always have fun when you come on here, and boy, I hope we didn't scare too many people off with these. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think the music should have put everybody in the Christmas spirit. It should have. Yeah, it should have. Yeah. I tell you, there's... <laughs> I'm not sure if it did. There's one there that... I just can't get it out of my head, Tommy. Yeah. yeah. It is catchy. Yeah. If you need to book us for your Christmas party, the number's right here. Yeah. Just... Uh, Give us a call after the show. Yeah. We're doing uh, bar mitzvahs, too. It kind of, <laughs> in a, indirectly, kind of reminds me of, um, uh, wasn't it the B-52s that did Love Shack? Yes. So, um, yes, and they're from, uh, aren't they from uh, Georgia, from memory? I, I believe so, yeah. I'm not sure. It, it did and have that southern influence, didn't it? It did. Yeah, southern rap style. Yeah. Mm. Southern Grandpa rap style. So, like on yeah. the front porch. Where else are you going to find that, you know? Southern plaid polar fleece jacket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, grumpy old man. Well, Mike, again, thanks for that. And, uh, boy, you know, we'll have to do this again next year. Yeah, well, maybe we can get him on sometime before next year. Yeah, but, uh, maybe It's always so. a pleasure to have you maybe on. so. It's always great being on here. Yeah, maybe we can, uh, well, I don't know what, you know. It'll just have to be a surprise. You, you never know what's coming from Mike. He, he posts a lot of great uh, uh, articles as well as a, a lot of great photoshops on our Google Plus page. Yeah, if you're, if you're not a member of the Google Plus group, get on there and, uh, and, and join our community. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, and that's the only place you'll see them besides here on the show. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, Mike, we really appreciate that. and. Uh, Wow. What what can we say? We're just uh, kind of honored and dumbfounded at the same time. Always a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, there is something you actually can buy. Yeah. To do with Amateur Logic. Right. Uh, go to uh, Amateur Logic store here, amateurlogic.spreadshirt.com, and pick up your Amateur Logic swag. Makes great gift ideas for Christmas. Yeah, it's probably too late to get it shipped in there now. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, we get, there's uh, T-shirts, hats, jackets, all kind yeah. of good stuff. Great for there. those New Year's Eve celebrations, Absolutely. Too, you know. And bar mitzvahs. And bar mitzvahs, <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of those, oh, yeah, you're representing there, Mike. Wow, he's got the cap, and we don't even have yeah. that yet. Yeah, what's up with that? I don't know. We're going to have to get one, I guess. Uh, and, well, what else have we got here? Oh, we're going to do something this uh, Saturday evening, tonight, after 
this stream here. If you got DSTAR, come on over to uh, a DSTAR network that's being hosted by the Ham Nation DSTAR net folks there. Uh, they're going to be on Reflector 14 Module C tonight. And, uh, Tommy, we're going to jump in there a little bit too, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. This will be the first DSTAR net we've had in a few yeah. years probably. Yeah, a long time. Uh, last one we did, I think Jim was was with us yeah. back then. Yeah, so uh, get it, you know, get on there and uh, let's have a good turnout. Maybe we'll continue to have that as well. Yeah, and that'll be right after the uh, stream this evening. And uh, Monday, December the 15th at 8.30 p.m. Central Standard Time will be our Echo Link Net at Star, Do Drop In Star, or? Node 355800. You nailed it. Yeah, I'll never forget that node number. Yeah, That's and it. also check our social network uh, places like uh, the Google Plus page and community we just talked about there. Uh, our Facebook group, it's real popular too. Yeah, we and uh, the Ham College show that we were talking about at the beginning of the show, there's a, a Facebook and a, and a Google Plus group for that yeah. as well. Not much on there yet because that was just a pilot episode. We just wanted to, well, just throw one out there and... See if it's stuck. Yeah. So and it looks like it probably did. Yeah, so uh, now, now's your time. Uh, it looks like it's going to be around for a while. Yeah. And uh, so come join us over there as well. Yeah, and also on the Twitters. The Twitters? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, we, we're uh, at Amateur Logic. And what's the other one? Uh, That's why I was asking you. At, at Ham, Ham College. College. Right. Yeah. And I think that's all we got here tonight. Guys, any uh, any final things you want to throw out before we go, Tommy? Yeah, don't listen to that Christmas collection and drive at the same time. Could be it bad. Could be hazardous. Especially if you get pulled over. Don't be caught playing that rap one up loud. <laughs> yeah, speaking of, speaking of driving, you were mentioning in a couple of episodes ago, George, uh, you were talking about the moose and how big they are, and you don't want to mess with them because they're huge. Right. Um, well, they are huge, and uh, we have we have these road signs to warn people just how much damage they can do to your vehicle. Wow. Wow. If you, if you hit one of Ooh. those things. Is that uh, for real? Yep. That is for real. And, the, and they really are huge. They're I huge. Mean, they weigh... A thousand plus pounds, so it's like hitting a brick wall with your car. You hit one. Bo Bullwinkle did not represent very he did well. Not very well, huh? No. No, and the and Similarly, the moose he's, he's got ahead. himself into a little bit of trouble lately. Uh, there was a there was an incident uh, with the moose. Oh, uh, what happened? Or, um, it, it's all okay. Uh, it was actually an alcohol related incident. <laughs> um, but uh, well, here you can judge for yourself. Yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> Those moose, man, when they get lit, man, there's no yeah. telling what's going to happen. No. You, yeah, you don't want a, mo a moose drinking and driving. That's for sure. Wow. Also, here in Australia, if, uh, if some of the kangaroos actually get quite quite tall, and uh, if you hit one uh, with your car, uh, can make a real mess of your vehicle. Yeah. Uh, not, not I've seen moose some of the signs. You uh, warning, warning you when when they don't have. I guess see, a lot of a lot of the major major roads have uh, fences to stop them. Uh, I guess it's, it's more or less like our uh, our deer up here. They can cause a lot of damage to your car too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, 
Yeah, we have cool. a lot of deer here too. And uh, oh, my mother hit one one time and totaled a car. Really? Well, yeah, yeah, it did. I mean, it really wasn't that much damage, but the insurance company totaled it because it cost so much to fix. My, it. my grandmother and grandfather were on a road trip one time out in the middle of nowhere, and he had to st he had to go to the bathroom so bad they pulled off and he went off in the woods to water the tree, and a deer ran through and hit the side of the car and knocked itself out. Wow. While it was sitting on the side of the road. Did he load it up in the car and take it home? No. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> it would probably been like Tommy Boy. I expect that thing would have woke up. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of deer, actually, I came across an interesting YouTube video uh, talking about the sacred deer in Japan. The, these ones are in a special park, and when you go up to them, they'll actually, if you bow to them, they'll bow back to you. So wow. it's probably the sure. traditional thing of I'm going to charge you, but just modified slightly. Hmm. We didn't have any emails this episode because we knew we uh, we had so much other stuff that it was going to be tight. But yeah, it was worth it though. Yeah. Uh, well, Peter, any final things before we go? Oh, only just to everybody out there have a very very merry Christmas, uh, and uh, also just take care on the roads and uh, don't drink and drive. Yeah. Great yeah. words of advice. Yeah. Merry Christmas to everybody and a Happy New Year. Yeah, Merry Christmas and uh, best 73s. This is about somebody's antenna that came down by the squirrels. Yeah. Oops, that's not it. <laughs> I grabbed the wrong one. You'll probably wish that we replayed that one after you hear this. <laughs> it's bad. Thank you, thank you very much. That Ray, man, he does a great Elvis impersonation, doesn't he? He does. Yep. <laughs> Should push the right button. Oh, wait a minute. Who are those guys? <laughs> are you wearing oh. the same shirt? No. no. <laughs> I hadn't worn this shirt since last winter. Peter, you know, Mama always said you need to check the muff before you just go running around willy nilly on HF bands. Uh, check the what? Sorry? I didn't catch that, uh, George. Check the muff. The muff. Uh, well, I actually, funnily enough, I actually filmed the whole segment using the term muff, and then I, I listened to myself and I went, nah, I better not use that. Yeah. Yeah. Maximum usable frequency. <laughs>